Sorry to interrupt your conversations. Shall we pray as we come to read from God's word and hear the word preached? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your love. And we believe that when we read the scriptures, you speak to us. And so we pray that as we read and as I preach, you would speak powerfully to our hearts and to our minds. Teach us new things of you and lead us so that we are more Christ-like today than we were yesterday. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're, we're in Advent. We're in our Advent sermon series. And our Advent sermon series is called Miraculous Births. We're looking at Old Testament stories that tell of amazing births of um, important people or different people in the Old Testament. And each and every story that we read is a pattern or a promise of the coming saviour, Jesus Christ. Jesus' birth is amazing when it comes in the New Testament and it's the culmination of thousands of years of prophecy that was given to the nation Israel in the Old Testament. And so during this time of Advent we, we look back on the Old Testament and remember what was spoken and what was promised through Jesus Christ. Um, so let us read together this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to read 1 Samuel 1, 1 to 19. confusing then I'm going to read chapter 2 1 to 10 and then finally I'm going to read uh, chapter 2 verse 26 so we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and let me read to you this story that we're looking at this morning there was a certain man of Ramathian Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah the son of Jehoham son of Elihu son of Tohu son of Zuth an Ephrathite he had two wives The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. 
Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favour in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate. Her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So Samuel is born, and they come again the year after to the temple, and I'm going to read Hannah's prayer in chapter 2. And this is how Hannah thanks God for what he has done. So um, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord, and my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honour. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on him he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And I'm also just quickly going to read verse 26 of chapter 2. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and also with man. I hope it will be obvious by the end of this sermon why I've chosen to, to jump to those verses. I want to enter this story this morning by thinking about Hannah's deep distress in this story. Let's get into the emotion of this story and, and imagine we're Hannah and think about the emotion that she is feeling at the beginning of this story. She is distraught because she does not have any children and her husband has another wife who does have children and so her life is it, she's sad about this she's in pain because of this in verse 7 it says of Hannah she would weep and not eat her appetite has disappeared in this moment because she's so sad and distraught in verse 10 it says she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly in verse 11, as she's praying, she says, look on the affliction of your servant. In verse 15, she says, I am a woman troubled in spirit. In verse 16, she says, all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. 
Hannah is a, is a distraught woman. She's not just distressed, she's deeply distressed. She's not just weeping, she's weeping bitterly. She doesn't just have anxiety, she has great anxiety. This is a painful moment for Hannah. This is an, an emotional moment for Hannah. She is suffering. In many ways, she feels broken and upset and, you know, like life isn't going the way that she wanted to. She is hurting in this passage that I read to you. And on top of that, she has a rival, Penina, her husband's other wife. And it says in verse 6, doesn't it, doesn't it? Her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Not just provoke, but pro- provoke grievously. You know, if you're a soft-hearted reader this morning, you're definitely feeling Hannah, Hannah's pain. You, you might also feel um, some pain for Penina as well, if you're a soft-hearted reader, because she has a husband who loves the other wife more than her. She gets give, Hannah gets given the double portion, doesn't she? And Elkanah's talking about how much he loves Hannah, and Penina's got children, but she is pretty much unloved by her husband in this passage. So we've got two ladies here who are in a lot of pain and distress. One who feels unloved and one who perhaps feels that God doesn't love her because she hasn't had any children. And although Elkanah is a religious man, if you have a look at verse 3, every year he goes off up to offer sacrifices. These are free will offerings. He doesn't have to make these sacrifices, but he's going to Shiloh and he's worshipping God year by year. So although he's a religious man, he is also a husband who's making big, big mistakes in this story. Firstly, he's giving Hannah this double portion. Um, So if you went to make a peace offering or a free will offering at the temple, as Elkanah is doing, you'd bring whatever you were going to sacrifice, and the fat and the blood would be burned on the altar as an offering to God. Then the priest who was helping with the sacrifice would take his portion, and then whatever was left was given back to the person who was making the sacrifice. And so what Elkanah is doing is he's making a sacrifice, it's be- the fat and the blood's being burned, and the priest taking his portion, and then Elkanah's taking all the other portions, and he's dishing out the portions to his family and he's giving one to Penina and he's giving one to his sons and daughters but then to Hannah he's giving a double portion she's giving she's getting this big great chunk of meat and the double portion is being given to Hannah now of course this isn't doing Hannah any good We've read it already, but in verse 7, Hannah is too sad to eat. So she's not thanking Elkanah for this big portion of meat. She, she's receiving this gift, and it's, meaning, it's meaningless to her. She doesn't have any children to, to give her portion of meat to, and instead she's, she's so sad she's not eating. And so what, she's, what is she doing with this double portion? Well, not very, not very much. It doesn't mean anything. To, it's not helpful to her. And what it's really doing is making the other wife jealous and causing her to... to to yeah, grievously speak words to her, making her jealous and causing strife between the two wives. So Elkanah's making a big mistake. It's not a good idea to give Hannah the double portion, even though he thinks it's coming from a place of love. He thinks he's showing love to his wife. But in reality, it's just causing jealousy and rivalry between his two wives. And then in verse 8, Elkanah tries to comfort Hannah. And this is what he says to comfort her. Am I not more to you than ten sons? Now, husbands, I want to give you some tips this morning. 
I want to tell you, do not be so vain and arrogant to think that you are the solution and remedy to all of your wife's problems. Don't think that you are the solution, apart from Jeff, of course. Um, (laughs) Do not be so vain and arrogant to think that you are the solution and remedy to all of your wife's problems. Do you know what Elkanah probably should be saying in this moment? He should probably be saying, Hannah, I love you. You are worth more to me than ten sons. That's, that would be the heart of love towards his wife. Instead of going, I surely am worth at least ten sons, if not a hundred sons. No, you, I love you so much. He should be expressing love to Hannah. But more than that, what he really should be doing is saying, not me, but God. No, I'm, I'm not worth more than ten sons. I appreciate that you desperately want children, and I know I can never... But you have God. You have a relationship with your heavenly Father. He is worth more than a hundred sons. Go to him in prayer. Trust him. And as Christians, we know we have Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, who has shown his love by dying upon the cross. And so whatever we lack in life, whenever we lack in life, we can go to God and we know in Jesus, in Christ, It says in Ephesians 1 verse 3, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. And so in Christ, we have all the blessings we need. And so Elkanah should be saying, Hannah, I love you more than 10 sons rather than I'm worth more to you than 10 sons. And he should be saying, but if you still feel a lack, if you you still feel like you need more, go to God because in him you find answers to prayer, you find joy and peace and love and all these amazing things. That's what he should be doing. But instead he's saying, hey, I I can be the saviour here. I, I, I can make you happy. I can give you everything that you need. When your spouse is hurting, tell them that you love them and point them to Jesus. When others in the church are hurting, mourn with them and gently point them to Christ. That's what we should be doing as a church. If we love people, instead of playing the saviour and saying, well, I must be enough, we need to point one another to Christ, whether you're married or not, with your spouse, point them to Christ. But just in this family, in the church, point one another to Jesus. So we have a story with deep emotion. Hannah's being provoked by a rival. Her her grief is being deepened by a foolish husband. And so she's feeling deep distress, great anxiety, weeping, losing her appetite. I wonder whether there are people here who have felt similar emotions to this. Or even now, perhaps, you can see some of these words. You see the word anxiety, you see the word distress, you you see the word weeping, and you think, actually, I'm going through a situation right now. I'm feeling like some of these things in my life. It might not be because you can't have children, but it might be for all sides. Maybe you're like Panina, and you feel unloved, and that's why you're feeling distress and emotional and and struggling. Or maybe it is like Hannah, and you, you, you want children, and you haven't had children, you're desperate, and so you're feeling distressed like Hannah. Or maybe COVID is causing you to feel great anxiety, anxiety or maybe you've lost a loved one or maybe there's something else going on in your life right now and you're saying actually these emotions that Hannah is feeling in the Bible are feelings that I have felt or I am feeling right now and the point isn't this morning become a Christian and all those feelings will go away that's not that that's not that's not true <laughs> if, if you've ever heard but become a Christian and all the negative feelings just disappear, then that's just a lie. That's just not true. That's not the reality of being a Christian. In fact, sometimes being a Christian intensifies these feelings. You, 
If you become a Christian, you belong to a church and you begin to share each other's burdens. That's why we have life groups. It's a place, one place perhaps, where you feel like you can share the things going on in your lives and then you can pray for each other and you share each other's burdens. So in some ways, your negative emotions are amplified by being in the church because you begin to share other people's challenges and difficulties as well. That's how a good church should function. Sometimes becoming a Christian adds additional griefs into your life. I know of people who've become a Christian and then because of their past, they've had to break ties or, or rather their family have completely cut them off because they've made the decision to become a Christian. So sometimes becoming a Christian is an amazing moment, believing in Christ, receiving forgiveness and eternal life. And yet it comes with a great cost and great grief being cut off from family and friends who reject you. And also it adds grief because you think about your non-Christian friends and you think, well, I love you, I care for you, I want you to know the salvation that I found in Jesus. And so becoming a Christian adds to your grief in that sense because you're going, I've got friends and I want them to be saved. And I'm sad for them, lost in darkness. And also, as you begin to know God, who is a God of justice, who cares for those who are poor and needy, you start to share in his love and his care. And, and so in a sense, as you become a Christian, you get to know God better, extra grief is added into your life because you're looking at the world and going, before I was a Christian, I didn't care about those things, but now I care intensely about those things because my God cares about those things. So the point isn't become a Christian and all these difficult, hurt, hurtful feelings go away. Not at all. In fact, I think it's the opposite. And isn't it interesting in this story that Hannah's grief particularly flares up in these yearly visits to go to Shiloh and offer sacrifices? When she's there, that's when she tends to lose her appetite. That's when she tends to, to feel so sad. It's also worth noting that this is not just a one-time thing. This is happening year after year after year. She's going up and feeling this sorrow. I know in my experience, when I've gone through difficult times, sometimes the very act of going to church and being in the congregation has intensified feelings of grief. You can be surrounded by people singing songs of joy, and you're going, wow, I'm just not there. That is just not how I'm feeling right now. I remember one particular moment. It was an amazing moment for me, actually, but... Uh, I won't tell you about the situation, but, but someone in the church had quite deeply upset me. And I came to the evening service and I just felt miserable. And then my church, all the songs were about joy. Every song was about joy. And maybe that's always true, but I just noticed it this Sunday. I was like, I don't know whether I can sing those words. And my, and my pastor of the church happened to be sat on the same row as me. And, and he came and he just sat and prayed with me because he could see that like, I was trying, I was really trying to join in. But, and, he, and he saw the hurt that I was going through and that was why it was a powerful moment because my pastor stopped what he was doing in order to come and be the church alongside me. But it was, it was being in the congregation of the church that almost intensified my grief, seeing the joy that I, I was like, I should feel this joy, but right now I'm not feeling it. I wonder whether you can relate to that as well. Sometimes being surrounded by the church and surrounded by worshippers makes you feel these griefs even, even more. I don't think that's a bad thing, by the way. And I think one of the things that Hannah does so well is she keeps going year by year. She doesn't stop. She doesn't stop going because she's feeling this grief. She keeps going. She keeps praying. So let me ask this question. What should we do in these moments? When we're feeling sad, when we're feeling deeply distressed, when we're struggling, how should we respond? Well, let's commend Hannah in this story. She keeps going to Shiloh year after year and she prays. 
She brings her hurt before God. She mouths silently her prayers while she's in, the, in this place where worship happens, which apparently was quite an odd thing to do because the priest Eli thinks she must be drunk because she's praying in her heart and that she, her mouth is moving but no sound is, is coming out. But she's praying, she's pouring out her heart to God. This is the right thing to do when you're feeling like this, is to pour out your soul before God. And I want to just read to you verse 11, um, which is one of the things she says again. Let me read verse 11. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now, there's some interesting parallels there between this week and last week. If you uh, listen to last week's sermon, which is about Samson, who's also this Nazarite, um, according to something that's given to him before he's born, and Samuel becomes a Nazarite as well because of what Hannah prays. I don't think we should be emulating the vow. I don't think that's something that we should copy in our prayer life. Lord, if you do this for me, then I will do this for you. Because God has already done everything for us in giving us Jesus Christ, his son. So it shouldn't be, Lord, if if you make this happen, then I'll do this. I don't think we should emulate that in Hannah. But I do think that she says some really wise things in that verse. The prayer that she's praying is, look on my affliction remember me and do not forget me. And I think those three phrases are good phrases when we're feeling grief, when we're feeling struggle, when we're going through something difficult. Lord, look what's happening. Look at the affliction in my life. Look at the affliction in the world, Lord God. Would you remember me and do not forget me? And maybe that's all you can do. Maybe if you're feeling grief this morning, that's the prayer that you can pray. Lord, look upon what I'm going through. Remember me and do not forget me. And of course, we know that we have a God who loves eternally, who never forgets us, who does see what we're going through. But it can just be helpful for our hearts to cry out and say, Lord, look, remember, do not forget. And maybe this, for the Christmas period, this is going to be your prayer. Because Christmas is difficult for you for whatever reason. Maybe this is what you're going through. And you used to pray, Lord, look, remember, and do not forget me. Or maybe you need to pray that prayer for the world. Or maybe you need to pray that prayer for some people in this room who you know. Lord, look upon what we're going through right now. Do not remember us. Remember this person. Remember this situation. Do not forget us. Lord, we believe you are powerful and mighty. We believe you are God of love and you can do great things. So look upon our affliction. Remember us and do not forget. Act and do something amazing and mighty. What Hannah does in going to the Lord in prayer is definitely something to emulate when we're going through struggles and griefs and difficulties. We turn to the God who we know can do something about what we're going through. And he hears us and does, he does look. He does not forget. He remembers us. And he does what is always good for us because he loves us. So Hannah's praying this prayer, giving this vow. And then comes the moment with Eli. Verses um, 13 to 14, he thinks she's drunk. And then in verses 15 to 16, Hannah responds and says, I'm, I'm not drunk. I'm just greatly troubled. I'm speaking. I'm pouring out my heart out of great anxiety and vexation. 
And so I'd encourage you to do the same. If you're feeling this grief, or you're looking on the world and, and seeing grief and affliction, pour out your heart. God is big enough and God cares about what you are going through. So pour out to him your great anxiety. Pour out your vexation. The Bible is full of stories of people who pour out their hearts. It's not full of people who are prim and proper and only say the right things in their prayers and never get anything wrong. No, it's full of people who get things wrong but are not afraid to go to God and and say what they're truly feeling. My favourite book of the Bible is a book called Habakkuk and it's a a short book which is one of the reasons it's my favourite but it begins with a prayer where Habakkuk says, God, I'm crying out to you and you're doing nothing. I'm crying violence and you're not moving. What's going on, God? I thought you were a pure God. I thought you were a good God. He's being honest with his situation. He's surrounded by difficulty and he's crying out in honesty. And so I say, pour out your hearts. Share with God your troubles and your anxieties and your vexations. Because look at what happens in this story when Hannah does that. In verse 17, Eli realises she's not drunk. And he says, go in peace. Go in peace. That is exactly what Hannah needed in that situation, isn't it? She goes from deep distress, great anxiety, vexation. And Eli says, go in peace. She needed peace from God in that situation. And so it's an amazing word that Eli speaks. Go in peace. He prays and speaks peace into her lives. And if you are here this morning and you're feeling like you have vexation, you have anger, you have great anxiety, you have distress, I pray that you would know the peace of God in your life, that he would calm your hearts, he would remind you of all the great blessings you have in Jesus Christ and you would leave, maybe you've arrived feeling distressed, you would leave knowing the peace of Christ in your hearts. Where does that peace come from as Christians? It comes from knowing that God hears us when we pray. It comes from knowing that we have eternal salvation in Christ. Even if we die here on earth, we go to be in paradise with our Lord and Saviour. Peace comes from knowing that God is our Father, and not a rubbish, sinful, earthly Father, but a perfect, heavenly Father who always does what is good and right. The peace comes from knowing that God is watching over you, He has not forgotten you. He remembers you. He's watching over you and he's caring for you. He sees what you're going through. And so peace comes from knowing our great and awesome God, the God of the Bible. He hears, he knows, he sees, he moves, he's mighty, he's loving, he's caring, he is awesome. And so I pray you would know peace today and this Christmas period. So Eli says, go in peace to Hannah. May God grant your petition and I echo that sentiment as well whatever you're praying for I pray God would grow I pray that today we would we would pray something we've been praying for a long time and we would see breakthrough and answers and God would give you the thing that you've been praying for firstly that you'd receive peace from God but secondly that God would help you this morning answer your prayers we'd see prayers answer I'm going to give us time to pray at the end of this sermon so that we might say the same God has granted my petition I've known peace and God has granted what I've been praying for but even if he doesn't give it we know he's good we know he's a good heavenly father and may we know peace from knowing who he is and Hannah is transformed in verse 18 
Go in peace. May God grant your position. Hannah is transformed. Her face is no longer sad, it says in verse 18. She eats. Maybe she enjoys that double portion that she's been given. Her, her, her distress has gone and joy has come back into her life. And what is more? A boy is born. And he is weaned. He grows up. And she prays a prayer of praise, describing how God lifts people out of the dust. He humbles those who are proud and he exalts those who are humble. And the boy who is born is a great prophet in Israel, the boy Samuel, who would go on even to anoint David as king. We know, don't we? King David was a great king of Israel and he was given a promise in his life that he would have a descendant who would reign on his throne forever and ever. Jesus Christ is the descendant spoken of. And so King David, as the shepherd king, for he was first a shepherd and then became a king, he is a model, he's a picture, he's a pattern of Jesus to come. So he's, he's a very important Old Testament character. It is Samuel, this boy who's born to Hannah, who has the joy and the honour of anointing David as king. He becomes a very important judge and prophet in Israel. I want to finish by asking, how does this story link to Jesus and to Christmas? Yes, we have a story of a boy being born, but we have a couple of other parallels to the Christmas story. Um, These kind of things, it's called biblical intertextuality, if you want to know the technical term. Different texts that link together to form nice patterns and nice stories, because the Holy Spirit is the author of the whole Bible. And so he links things from the beginning to things with the end, and in between, lots of passages. Biblical intertextuality, um, one of my favourite, if you read my essay, I use essays for my master's course. I use biblical intertextuality like in every sentence, just to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Um, So biblical intertextuality, there are two ways in particular that this passage, passage links to the Christmas story and the first is Hannah's prayer in chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 because Hannah's prayer has themes of God opposing the proud, God exalting the humble, God raising up the poor and God bringing low the rich and these exact same themes come through in Mary's song or prayer in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. A son is born in Samuel 1, and his mother gives out this prayer of praise, speaking about God humbling the proud and exalting the humble. And a son is born in Luke chapter 1, and his mother gives forth a a prayer of praise, and she says this, God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. If you are feeling humble and poor and distressed and difficult, be encouraged, because God is the God who exalts those who sit in the dust. He raises up those who feel like they're struggling. He lifts them up to walk on the heights, and he will do that in your life as well. That's what these two songs, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament, speak of. Jesus exalting the humble. But there's another parallel as well. And it's in, it's in 1 Samuel 2, 26, where it says, The boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and also with man. That's what's spoken about of Samuel in 1 Samuel 2. Well, in Luke 2, this is what it says of Jesus. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. 
there are other parallels as well. Samuel, that's spoken of Samuel as he ministers in the temple. And that verse about Jesus is spoken about Jesus, who's been with the temple, arguing with the different temple officials. There's something in Luke, as he tells this story, he wants to connect Samuel in the Old Testament with Jesus in the New Testament. And Luke wants to show us that Samuel is a picture and a reflection of Jesus, but he also wants to tell us something about who Jesus is. And that's what I've been meditating on. Why is there this connection, this biblical intertextuality, this linguistic connection between, one, between Samuel and Jesus? And I think the answer is this. This is about the priesthood of Christ. I want to finish our time together by thinking about the priesthood of Christ. Because as a boy, Samuel ministered in the temple. And he also prophesied against Eli's sons who were wicked priests. They used to steal from the people who brought sacrifices and not honour God in any way. They were wicked men. Wicked men. And so Samuel kind of fills their stead, really. They're, they're not doing the right things. So Samuel prophesies against them and then steps into their role as a priest. He often functions as a priest in his life. And also, during the story of Samuel, if you read on, there are promises of a faithful priest, a good and just priest to come. Eli's sons were wicked, but a faithful priest is coming. And I think Luke parallels Samuel deliberately to reveal Christ as priest, just like Samuel was a priest. Now, a priest is a mediator or a bridge between God and human beings. Priests offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people so men could be forgiven for the things they'd done wrong and reconciled to God. That's what a priest did. He was a mediator between God and human beings and he would offer sacrifices on behalf of the human beings for the forgiveness of sins. I hope we can now see how Christ is the perfect priest. He is fully God and he is fully man. That's the wonder of the Christmas story. This baby's born is fully God and fully man. And that makes him the perfect mediator, doesn't it, between God and mankind. He can fully sympathise with us in our humanity because he's fully man and he's fully God as well. And so he is the perfect one to stand in between us and God. And I want to emphasise this. This is really important. I am not your mediator between, God, between you and God. You don't, your prayers don't need to come through me. And sometimes you can go into other churches and they set people up as priests and they act as the mediator between God and man or maybe they in Catholic churches they do it through saints you pray to the saint and then the idea that the saint in heaven runs to God and offers your prayer we don't I don't need to be your mediator you don't need a, a person here on earth to be your mediator or to be your priest you don't need to pray to a saint because Jesus is the perfect mediator that's why when we pray, we pray to God our Father through Jesus Christ. He is the one who mediates our prayers. That means you can have a relationship with God and you definitely don't need me to make it happen because Christ has made a way. Christ is the one through whom you come to God the Father. He is the perfect mediator, fully God and fully man. And not only that, he also offers himself as a sacrifice upon the cross. Priests had to make sacrifices for their own sin, while Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice for others' sin. He dies on the cross carrying our sin and the things we've done wrong in order that we might be forgiven, in order that we might come into the presence of God the Father. And so in this sense, Jesus Christ is the perfect priest. And if you read the story of Jesus, a lot of what he's doing is criticising the religious folk 
for being poor mediators, for, for not speaking the truths of God, for not introducing people into the presence of God, and he comes to replace them, to, to push them out of the way and say, that's, that's not the way you need to relate to God anymore. You relate to God the Father through me and through what I have done on the cross. Did you know Christ's priestly work has not ended? He now sits at the right hand of God the Father and he mediates our prayers. When we pray, our prayers go through Jesus. Jesus sat at the right hand of God the Father. And, and Jesus even pleads our case in the Father's presence day after day after day. In every moment, we need not come feeling guilty and condemned to the Father because Jesus is there saying, hey, I died for this one. This one comes forgiven. He, is a, he or she is a saint whom I love, who I've clothed in righteousness. Receive him or her. He can come into your presence. I am his mediator. I have died for him. I have risen again. And so the Father, with joy, hears from his Son and receives us in our prayers day after day. Jesus is the priest now and our priest forever and ever and ever. And so as I draw to a close, I think there are three responses to this passage and this story. Firstly, it is likely that there are some people who are feeling the emotions and the distress of Hannah in some form in your life, whatever you're going through in your life. Uh, and if that's you, I would say firstly, we're going to sing a song in a moment. During the song, don't sing, but quietly pour out your heart to God in prayer. You know, you can move your lips like Hannah did when she was praying if you would like to, but come to God in prayer, pour out your heart to him. And then after the, after the meeting's over, why don't you just stay in here and someone will come and pray with you and make sure you get prayer if you're feeling that emotion and that distress that Hannah was feeling. I think there are others who also need to pray in a different way. Hannah was praying year after year for this, and then she saw breakthrough. And maybe there's something that you've been praying for over and over and over again, year by year, day by day, for a long time, and you want to see God move in answer to that prayer now. If that's you, I'd encourage you to do the same. Pray by yourself during this song, and then remain here, and someone will come and pray with you. We want to see breakthrough in this moment. And the third way we should respond to this sermon is to worship Christ, particularly as priest, our perfect mediator and our perfect saviour who offered himself up upon the cross. And so if you're not praying, and if everyone sits and prays, then great, that means God's moving and the band can just play a nice song for us. But if you're not praying and responding in a particular way in prayer, why don't you stand with me and sing praise to Jesus Christ, our perfect priest, and we're going to sing a song that's worships Jesus for him acting as priest. So why don't you stand or if you would like to pray you can stand or you can sit, do whatever works for you and the band are going to